a little over a week ago on August 3rd, the CDC, under the guidance of the Biden administration, issued an extension of the eviction moratorium for COVID. Now, what we are not going to talk about on the show today is how the Supreme Court already ruled that it is unconstitutional for Biden and the CDC to issue such moratoriums. We are also not going to talk about how Biden violated his oath of office and publicly stated that he was going against the multitude of constitutional scholars who told him that this is illegal and unconstitutional for him and the CDC to do. And we're also not going to talk about how the CDC has absolutely no authority whatsoever to issue such legislation. This is a job for Congress. What we are going to talk about on today's show, though, is private property. Why is it important and why should it be protected and respected at all costs? And why is it concerning that the Biden administration seems to have a total disrespect for it? This is Whitney Short. Welcome to the Whitney Short Show. So do you ever feel like lately that you are having to think through things that you've never really had to think through before and come up with reasons why you believe them and be able to defend them? Like some things just seem like they should be common sense and we shouldn't really have to have a reason to defend them. Things like men are men and women are women and men should not be in women's spaces. Things like freedom of speech and how that is a good thing. The fact that other people should be able to express their opinion, even if it goes against the mainstream view of things, or the fact that people should be able to make their own medical decisions and keep those private and not be restricted about where they can go into restaurants and theaters and such based off a vaccination status. A lot of that just seems like common sense, but common sense apparently isn't so common anymore. So what we are going to start doing on some of our podcast episodes is going back to the basics of why we believe what we believe, why we're saying what we're saying so that you can have the knowledge that you need to be able to feel confident in your beliefs and why you believe them and be able to have confident and classy conversations with people that are based off of knowledge, based off belief, instead of based off fear. So that is what we're going to do today. We're going to delve into private property. Like, why is it so important? We know we like it. Uh, We like owning our own things. But why is it actually important for the preservation of a free society? And before we start talking about the reasons why it's so important, let's take a step back into history for a little bit. Let's go back to when the pilgrims, the settlers, first came to America. So in May of 1607, 105 pilgrims landed in Jamestown, Virginia. By November, only 38 of them were still alive. And in 1609, 500 more pilgrims arrived. Only 60 of them survived. Can you imagine that? 440 pilgrims died. All of these people either died of starvation or disease. One settler at the time recorded in his journal that so great was our famine that a savage we slew and buried. 
The poor sort took him up again and eat him, and so did divers one another, boiled and stewed with roots and herbs. He went on to also state that the reason that this time became known as the starving time in America was not, quote, for want of providence and industry and not the barrenness and defect of the country as is generally supposed. So basically he's saying it's not because there wasn't good land or there wasn't game to be hunted or food to be had. The land was actually very fertile. There was an abundance of animals to hunt and vegetation for food but people were dying of starvation. Similarly, in 1620, the Mayflower landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and like Jamestown, within a few months, almost half of those pilgrims had died as well. So if the land was so good, there's plenty of fish in the sea to fish, there's plenty of animals to hunt, there's plenty of vegetation, the land is fertile and good for growing things, why were people starving to death to the point that some of them were eating each other in order to survive. Well, two different men were able to identify the root problem in the colonies and come up with a solution. The first one was Sir Thomas Dell, and he was sent to Jamestown to serve as the high marshal and just figure out what was going on there and set things in order. The second one was William Bradford, who arrived in Plymouth with the other pilgrims on the Mayflower. And they realized, like the settler above, that, hey, it's not because we don't have good land here or access to food. It's because people are not working and they're not incentivized and motivated to work. So you see, in the beginning of the colonies, both of these colonies, land and property were communally owned and resources were distributed equally or as needed among the settlers. And in Jamestown, a large part of what the colonists produced and earned went back to the Virginia Company in order to support the colony and pay for their transportation to America. So essentially, the early colonists were indentured servants to the Virginia Company and whoever else had brought them here. They had to work for so long and give back what they earned to these companies. So what we have here is basically it's called agricultural socialism and they didn't call it socialism back then, but it is this idea of a corporation or a government owning the private property, the means of production and people producing things and then them being distributed out equally. People just are not motivated and incentivized under that because they are not doing it just for themselves. Um, they, and there's no way for them to move up under a structure like that. So as a remedy, both Sir Thomas Dell and William Bradford allowed the pilgrims to own their own land and to keep most of what they produced and earned. And this worked like a charm. The personal people started feeling personal responsibility again for their needs. They had a motivation and a desire to work because they could keep most of what they earned. They could eventually acquire more land. Um, arts and crafts started taking off as well. So, you know, things like, well, they probably weren't called arts and crafts by then. It's what we think of arts and crafts today, but just carpentry and blacksmithing and those things. And the colonies, America started becoming a prosperous and thriving nation. So private property, allowing people to keep what they earned and have a way to move upward in society solved the problem. And our founding fathers also realized the importance of people owning their own property and of the government's job to protect private property 
when they separated from Britain and started drafting the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Our Declaration of Independence states that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, you can replace pursuit of happiness with private property. They essentially mean the same things. We pursue happiness through private property. And part of the reason that we know that the Founding Fathers meant that these two things are the same is that um, Thomas Jefferson, when he was writing the Declaration, it wasn't until the final draft that he substituted the phrase pursuit of happiness for the word property. Our Founding Fathers, they their political philosophy was shaped by men like John Locke, who argued that one of the main reasons that governments are created is to protect private property. And in a lot of writings from political philosophers such as Locke talk about these three main proponents of a free society, life, liberty, and property. It wasn't really until Thomas Jefferson that you start using, you start seeing this word pursuit of this phrase pursuit of happiness used so Locke, our founding fathers they believe that the reason for government one of the primary reasons that we have government is so that government can protect private property rather than individuals having to try to protect it their private property on their own and being at war with each other all the time or stronger people being able to take the possessions of maybe weaker people um, in addition, let's say Locke stated that the great and chief end, therefore, of men's uniting into commonwealths and putting themselves under government is the preservation of private property. So that is what Locke said. This is the philosophy that our founding fathers are draw- drawing from when they are writing the Declaration and the Constitution and setting up our nation. John Adams, who was instrumental in persuading Congress to separate from England and who was on the committee assigned to de- drafting the Declaration, wrote, All men are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, that of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, in fine, that of seeking and obtaining their safety of happiness. So they equated this acquiring, possessing, and protecting property with seeking and obtaining their own safety and happiness. So not only does John Adams' quote confirm that the Founding Fathers equated the pursuit of happiness with property, but it also leads perfectly into answering the question, why is private property important and why should we respect and defend it? Okay, I've got three big reasons for you. Number one, private property is essential for life. Okay, because we exist, we have a right to maintain our existence as the Declaration of Independence states. We have a right to life. And the way that we survive is by acquiring the resources necessary to do so, such as housing, land, food, clothing, cars, etc. I know this seems, it seems very simplistic to say this, but it's not something like you really think about unless you're forced to as we're being forced to in this time. So you have a right to life and your right to life means that you have the right to maintain that existence. And you do that through acquiring private property, acquiring these things through labor and free trade. And our private property allows us to exchange with others, money and commodities, 
um, for other resources and services and it allows others to do the same with us. So private property allows for free trade. And that owning private property and the ability to trade our resources, whether that's money or other services or commodities, this allows us to live a life beyond just a meager subsistence. Um, Our resources allow us to improve our quality of life and our station in life, thereby giving us a better life and a longer life. So number one, private property is essential for life. Reason number two, private property is essential for freedom. So if we don't own anything, then we do not have the ability to buy and sell. And if you as an adult, okay, just take out the factor that some people may be physically or mentally unable to provide for themselves. But if you as an adult are economically and completely dependent on someone or something else for all of your needs, food, clothing, housing, you name it. If you're economically totally dependent on someone or something else, then that makes you a slave. You have no ownership of anything, not even yourself, because you are dependent on someone else. And as a slave, you do not get to choose what you get in life or how much you get. And you are given very little, if any, option or opportunity to better your life and your circumstances. So private property is essential to being a free individual and living in a free society. And private property also helps prevent tyranny because when property is owned and controlled by a multitude of individuals, it spreads out power and this provides a safeguard to our liberties and our life. And when private property is owned and controlled by either one person, such as a dictator or even a group of people, maybe several corporations or the government, then power is concentrated into the hands of a few and usually corruption and tyranny easily follow. And I mention this because not only, you know, we talk about the CDC and the Biden administration extending those eviction moratoriums. Well, there are some trends that we are seeing in America right now. One of them is that uh, a lot of big banks and corporations and pension funds and even uh, wealthy billionaires are buying up private housing and homeownership is actually going down and a lot more people are renting. And so private property is being transferred into the hands of a few. And it's not necessarily the government. In some cases it is, uh, but it is corporations and banks, like we mentioned before. And uh, to be honest, I don't know if the government and banks and corporations are working together. They could be. We've seen that happen this year with the government working with Facebook in order to censor speech. So what we're not seeing is the government just coming in and confiscating private property like you would in a totalitarian, totally totalitarian state. Uh, We do see this move towards collectivism where private property is being transferred into the hands of a few rather than people, private citizens owning their own home. And it's very, buying homes is also becoming more challenging for people because the cost of homes is several times higher than the average income that people are making. So, and like I said, they have to compete with these corporations now. So we're seeing this 
transfer, although it's slow right now, it is something worth noting that private property is being put into the hands of a few people rather than a lot of people. And this can lead to some dangerous things, uh, more government control, more top-down control and tyranny and authoritarianism. So it's just something to be cognizant of and know that it's going on. So that's number two, private property is essential for freedom. And finally, reason number three, private property is essential for a civilized society. Russell Kirk in his Concise Guide to Conservatism, if you are conservative and you're kind of like, what do conservatives believe? Or if you're not a conservative and you're wondering, what do conservatives believe? This is a really good read. Um, He is a political philosopher. He really was one of the people that brought conservatism to the forefront of politics, kind of made it more of a more, I guess, mainstream thing. But Russell Kirk in his guide said, argues that if property did not exist, civilized life could not exist. Now, the National Geographic website states that the characteristics of civilized life are a large population centers, monumental architecture and unique art styles, shared communication strategies, systems for administering territories, a complex division of labor, and the division of people into social and economic classes. And Russell Kirk, along with other political philosophers, scholars argue that none of these things would be possible without private property. One of the things that private property does, uh, it allows people the right to keep and add to, uh, well, their property to earn more, to move up in society. And this allows for leisure. Now, the interesting thing is that socialism also is an advocate for leisure in the sense that everyone has all their needs met. So supposedly like you don't have to worry about anything and this is going to, you're really not having to work. Everything's pretty much just handed to you. And this allows for all this leisure, which then is going to translate into people just being creative and producing all this art. I mean, we saw with COVID-19 that did not work. All these people who thought they were going to learn how to build a house and bake bread and paint and write that novel that they've always talked about, very few people did it. Like, it's just not how people function and work. Um, But there is also good leisure that once you reach a point uh, economically, you do have time for more leisurely things there's this balance between work and leisure and some leisure allows for material improvement. It allows for creativity and innovation. So they are, that's what they're arguing allows for the creation of civilization and culture is this balance of work and leisure that you get by owning private property. So let's just dig into that a little bit deeper like why the question, why does private property lead to a civilized society? So earlier we saw that the lack of private property early in America's history led to a stagnant society where starvation abounded and where some people even succumbed to just barbaric behavior such as cannibalism and private property seemed to remedy that and allow for the growth of American civilization. And here are some reasons that might be, and these principles are, they're not confined just to here in America. They are, universal. So private property teaches people responsibility and it teaches them 
this by teaching them how to work to acquire resources and provide for themselves, as well as how to manage and maintain those resources. So this personal responsibility benefits not only the individual, it also benefits society. Secondly, private property motivates people. So whether we like to admit it or not, people, they're not generally motivated by a collective good. Okay, that's what was going on in the early American colonies of Jamestown and Plymouth. They had this collective good in mind, like no one owns anything. Everyone's working the land and washing clothes and doing dishes and cooking like it sounds silly, but this is how it was set up. Like the women were not just washing their family's clothes. They were also washing clothes and cooking food for other uh, people in the community. It's just a whole collective idea. So people generally are not motivated by the collective good. They are motivated by their own personal needs and desires and caring for their own family. And it doesn't matter if we like that or not, or if you believe that people should just do things out of the pure love of their heart, that's just not how people function. And that's just a fact that we have to accept. Um, So private property helps motivate people to produce. And if they can keep what they're on, what they, most of what they earned, then they're more motivated to keep producing. And there is a sense of competition and ownership that inspires people to do better work and to serve people better. And just being able to acquire things and accomplish things, it gives people a sense of dignity and a sense of pride. And there is a good kind of pride of a job well done and of good work. So it gives, it gives people dignity. It's humane. Um, private property also allows people to pass something on to their children. So it's not just for them here and now. It's, it allows them to leave a legacy for the people that are coming after them. And it also helps pe- gives people the opportunity to rise from poverty and to advance their position in life. So whether any of these things are motivated by greed or selfish regions or whether just someone is a complete angel person <laughs> that probably doesn't belong in this world, it doesn't matter. To me, it's a so what question. Like, who cares what their motivation is if it is benefiting them and then in turn that also benefits society and other in culture in other words civilization okay so it all just works hand in hand here so um, it teaches people about personal responsibility motivates people Um, private property is also a means to an end if people don't have private property then they're usually fighting each other for it we can just look at history for that warring nations and peoples and tribes all the time. Uh, We don't have to deal with that because we have private property and the government so far, it's partly in place to protect that so that we are not fighting each other or fighting the government for private property. So it's the property, private property becomes not the end itself that we're trying to achieve it becomes a means to an end. So it leads us, owning private property allows for a free society, allows us to produce things and grow and create that civilization. So it becomes a means to an end rather than the end itself. And then lastly, people, this is so important. People are more invested in their community and their neighborhoods when they own private property. They take more interest in the betterment and maintenance of their local community. They get along with their neighbors better. They commit fewer crimes. And they also tend to care 
more about state and national issues as well. So when you have a multitude of people invested in their communities and invested in state and national matters, you create a stronger civilization as a whole. It's just the fact that renters, we are renting right now, so I'm not being down on renters, but they generally don't care as much about the space that they're living in because they don't own it. They don't have to maintain it. They uh, tend to be more apathetic about the local community and the neighbors they live in. And, you know, it's just human nature. So don't have to like it. It's just the way it is. So people are more invested in their communities and neighborhood and state and national issues as well. It just creates a better society. So those are the three main reasons right there. Private property is essential to life. It's essential to freedom. It's essential to civilization. It brings out a lot of good qualities in people that we want to encourage. And, uh, yeah, that's the main framing reasons. And then I'm just going to leave you with this quote here. John Adams wrote, the moment the idea is admitted into into society, that property is not as sacred as the laws of God and that there is not a force of law and public justice to protect it. Anarchy, anarchy and tyranny commence. Property must be secured or liberty cannot exist. And that is why it's a little concerning, maybe a lot concerning, that there is this total disregard by the Biden administration. Um, Of course, we don't want people to be homeless. That's not what we want. Um, But we also have to respect the landlords and the property owners. They're being put into a financial situation here as well. They're not getting paid and they risk losing their property. The government is telling them what they can and can't do with their property. Uh, So there is this government interference there. If they have, if they get to the point where they can't keep up paying their own mortgage, as well as the mortgage of their rental properties and the maintenance of these, then they may have to foreclose on them and default their loans and give them back to the banks. So then again, we have private property going back into the hands of these major banks. Like we said, major corporations are buying up private homes. Um, so just some things to think about and realize that are going on in our country and just knowledge for you to know why it's important. So I hope that helped you out today. We're going to try to do some more of these like back to basic type things as issues come up in the news or culture. Let me know if you like them. And if you have questions, um, you can contact me on Instagram and message me there. And if you really like this episode today and you found it helpful, I would so appreciate it if you go leave us a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcast because it helps more people see it. And also um, feel free to screenshot it and tag me on Instagram so that I can thank you. Anyways, guys, talk to you next week and hope you have a great day.